What is up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to Fudge Muppet. This is the Elder Scrolls Podcast. I'm Scott here with Michael Drew, as always. And today we are tackling the Bretons, the Manmer, as they're also called. Mm. A lot of people's favorite race. <laughs> See, I, I think that favorite race thing is rooted in just people um, in D&D and stuff. They like the half-elf race because it's like human, but with a little bit of flavor. So they're like, yeah, I'm a half-elf, whatever. And that's why I think the Bretons, because, you know, having the magical ancestry and stuff is, I guess, cooler than just being like mm. an Well, Imperial some of the early illustrations mm. before they kind of just looked like Imperials were was really interesting and i mean like in theory having a character that has got roots in you know elven history and human history there's so much potential there it, plus everyone likes conjurations so. yeah i remember them being one of the first races when i played oblivion that i tried out and really liked because of the illustration in the guidebook because mm-hmm. you know with the real pointed ears and the more like um kind of like slender physique almost that you don't really yeah. see anymore. In by the time of Skyrim, they just look like Ricky Gervais or something. They're just a bit. <laughs> <laughs> they do. They do. Yeah, they've got like the long fingers and high cheekbones, and you can see parts of their elven history. I mean, you can kind of make the the law cope that you know throughout the years they get bred more and more with humans, and the because elves are you know especially the Dorani elves are so rare and they're so isolated. You can see how they'd become more and more like their Nedic ancestors. But that, but still, yeah. come on. Yeah, it's pretty, like, it also depends because people talk about that, but then they forget. Like, if you have uh, a Breton and that is or originally was, say, half Breton, half Need, and then they interbred with other Needs and diluted the Elven ancestry further, then you end up with a race that's kind of like more human. I'm not hundred percent sure though why uh, the Elvish parts would be diluted if you had a half Elf, half Need. Right. And then they interbreed mm. with other Bretons. That shouldn't dilute it. Like, obviously, they, they did interbreed with other needs, which diluted it and diluted it and diluted it. But then when you get to a stage where they're all kind of, you know, quote, Bretons, and then Bretons breed with other Bretons, that shouldn't remove the, the elven ancestry part of it yeah. further, right? I don't think so. The thing is that Bretons are inherently kind of, like, contrived as a mistake thing because... You know, conventionally, the idea is that, like, it would kind of, like, genetically would get bred out the elves, right? The elven parts, like, even if they sort of intermix, because you'd have original sort of, like, manmer half-elves that have a Dureni parent and then a non-Dureni, and then it goes, you know, they that one interbreeds with a need, then yeah, it's, like, yeah, yeah. kind of only quarter Dureni, so on. But then there's the sort of racial phylogeny kind of book, which kind of tries to facilitate gameplay reasons as to why there's not half races of everything. So, so you're you- the race of the mother, and then... Yeah, and that means so long as there's a female of any race, you can maintain that exact race without there ever being dilutions. It's kind of like, it's just a Breton thing, pretty much. Yeah, I've heard Cope's kind of trying to say that, like, you know, you can, I think in the racial phylogeny, the traits of the father can be passed on. Yeah, like small ones, but you're mostly the race, you are basically the race of the mother with small traits. So you can imagine if somehow, if theoretically, an orc and a, a Breton had a child together... Maybe they're just mm. a very ugly Breton, but <laughs> they're yeah. pretty much it, it, still a Breton. You, it's one of the orcs ugly. I think orcs. I are, think orcs got a certain green charm. I think orcs would call themselves ugly and be kind of proud of being a uh, the, the unpopular 
low personality score race. I'm pretty Are sure... Are you saying you don't like big tusks on your women? <laughs> not, not particularly, nor horned eyebrows. They're not uh, particularly my thing. To each their own. I guess you prefer <laughs> scales and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but overall, the, the Bretons... We, we can kind of glaze over that part of it because it's a little contrived. It's just kind of, it is what it is. They they have more of the magical components. They look like humans with like magical blood. And and I mean, even in ESO, probably those pictures, they, they've added like little pointed details mm. and so on. And Much nicer than add. the pug aesthetic from Skyrim. But yeah. I mean, what we shouldn't gloss over is, of course, their, their history and how they were made. So mm. there were many different elvish groups that um, migrated out of the Somerset Isles or Old Maris. And they went you know, to different parts of Tamriel. Obviously, some went to Cyrodiil and became the Aelids. And some ended up going to High Rock, where they found a local population of Needs. Now, instead of um, sub, well, instead of enslaving them or just full-on slaughtering and exterminating them, they kind of integrated the Needs into their society. Well, they did. Um, except- yeah, it's like, it's like slavery life. Yeah, like... Because <laughs> like it the- was just your peasantry that's... You know- <laughs> it's not torture in the traditional no, sense. Yeah. It's more like... They, yeah. You, so I'm not trying to say it's a good thing. I'm just saying compared to being completely slaughtered, um, they did become part of the society, but as a lower class, and they ended up adopting a lot of elven things, such as the um, gods, um... And it's interesting how you can see this kind of caste system still reflected in Breton society. But ultimately, getting back to their history, what happens is the Nidic people are, you know, they're quite attractive um, to the elves. And the elves, and well, some of them are, and they end, up, they end up interbreeding with them. And they actually, I forget the name of it, but they actually had like a, a written rule essentially allowing uh, the elven overlords. The perquisite of coition, I yeah, think it's that called. one, to, to yeah. breed. Um, with attractive needs and they would kind of take on multiple needs as concubines um, and kind of, you know, who has the most attractive concubines. It's a bit of a competition. But ultimately, um, the result of that are the Bretons that, you know, are the offspring from that intermingling. Uh, But the Bretons, they were put in a higher position than the needs were and they were actually given kind of roles in society that needs could only dream of but they were still very separated from the the pure elves um if you look at it from the high elven perspective it kind of makes sense like you know high elves and the dureni clan being very close to that um very much have always valued their racial purity and then they would consider needs as humans you know that the subjects of Lorcan and we hate these people, but if they suddenly have some of your blood intermingled with theirs, then, oh, they're slightly better, I guess. You know, they're still tainted humans, but they're mm. a little bit better. Yeah, so the caste structure sort of develops around how much of an elf you are mm. in, in High Rock. And even within mm-hmm. the divisions of that, so the more elf you are, so there could be two Bretons, but one is considered, you know, more pure and, and closer to being an elf than another one and therefore rewarded by the elven overlords in terms of the positions that they were given within the hierarchy of society. So being a, a Breton wasn't necessarily the, the worst thing um, if you were the offspring, but still not as good as being uh, an elf. The Dureni definitely mm, ran yeah. things there. And this, um, it, or like you were touching on with uh, religion, um, early Breton religion was quite, it was pretty much imported from um, Aldmeris and so on. Now, like uh, later on, it became just the sort of divines that you know. But even um, 
the Clandarenes sort of big um, champion god, their patron god was actually Finaster, and that's why he continues on uh, being worshipped in High Rock today. It's like an element mm. carried over from they, that. They do have some school. more elven um, deities in their pantheon. And interestingly, if we're talking about their kind of early history and how that's affected things, they actually have a version of, of Shaw uh, called Shior, who is kind of like uh, considered a source of all strife and he's blamed for crop failures. And um, it's almost as if that's what the elves told them about Lorcan or Shaw. Like, oh, he's this, yeah. he's this bad god, but it kind of keeps a name similar to what, you know, the Nords call Shaw. Yeah, it's interesting. You know what's interesting too is like I, I sometimes like think about like the Nedic, um history of that time. But there's this sort of like it's kind of hard to get the exact picture of everything with the Dorani and like because obviously the Dorani would come and then they would start um, and they're sort of around the Isle of Belfiere and so on and they spread into High Rock. But then there's still lots of population that they might not immediately control because you hear about things like there's this one line in. Um, I think it's in the arena descriptions of the race or Daggerfall or something like, and it mentions the Druids of Galen mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. on. And I think initially they intended the the Bretons to be a, like a, basically a Celtic kind of rip. Right. Um, and you still see like the Celtic naming in all of the, um, the Reachmen, but also you have like the, like there's, there's concepts art of it, which I'll put it up from um, the uh, pocket guide to the empire. But um, there's like the horse people mm-hmm. of the Jose mm-hmm. river and so on. And, and, like you hear also references to like ancient like witch kings and they're even around in the time of um, Tiber Septum and so on. But it's kind of interesting as well that that even that Breton blood, I guess, spreads and uh, gets outside of the sort of control of the Dorenni as well. Like it kind of because the Bretons keep, you know, growing and growing and growing and populous. And this is also a law thing as well. But like elves population is naturally kind of capped and they they reproduce only like new elves only come when there's new elves whereas men can just keep going which is yeah which is strange because they obviously seem to have no issue breeding with humans it seems to just be slowed when it comes to themselves but like thinking about it sorry no no go on i was saying perhaps that's why they're all men breton's men because like because they couldn't possibly because the way it works yeah i mean maybe well they did get bred out in a way like that's what ends up happening with the dureni like they they Mm. kind of get outnumbered in a sense and they kind of groom the Bretons on their way out to to take over this society mm. and to run it in a mm. certain way. But then they're left with a collection of, I think it's, it's a hundred or hundreds of of um, kind of like fiefdoms. Mm. Just, yeah, I think the huge disparity between the population of Dureni elves and the population of Bretons slash needs means that really, even if they didn't come along and set up this caste system, the Bretons we have today would probably operate exactly the same as they do now, minus the name. You know, because there's the idea that Bretons, even though we know the real world inspirations, it comes from like Baratu, which means half. Hmm. So it's like they're the half breed. But even if they didn't breed with the elves... Do you think so? When the Dureni... Well, I think when the Dureni clan fought themselves to a standstill against the Elysian Empire and eventually just had too much land with too few elves to rule it, they were inevitably going to retreat. And I think the needs probably would have slipped into their positions of power no matter what even if they didn't quite adopt mm. the same values i just i just find it interesting in terms of like the cause and effect of how the actions of the elves going there and subjugating the needs and leading it to this you know kind of caste society um and then by the end of it all there's like all these different um 
fiefdoms fighting against each other and and kind of not sure who's a ruler like there's even a quote somewhere saying like it can get confusing of like who's who and mm-hmm. who's more powerful and, and and this type of thing among all the different um breton leaders and stuff over time they've actually um unified more and more and become less split up believe it or not despite them having mm-hmm. the reputation of still being very split up but I, i'm not sure if they would be exactly the same without the elvish interference because it's almost as if we create this caste system society's very kind of like fractured and then we get bred out and kind of like retreat and i mean other historical I events it's, happen it's, it's more just the kind of opportunistic nature of the rise of the breton kingdoms you know the idea that they found themselves in tiny little villages where the dureni were no longer claiming all of the wealth of the land and the people were just like you know obviously there were i think the bretons probably took the highest roles in the society because they understood rule from the dureni maybe mm. but for, I think for the most part, when I think of the Bretons or the Breton needs or what, it, like however much of whichever they are, it's kind of just like lowly people saying, hey, the Dureni aren't really messing with us anymore. Should we just prosper? <laughs> like, should we just start keeping the, the wealth of the land for ourselves? And then you've got places like, I think Wayrest is just, was just a tiny fishing village. The Dureni retreated to Balfiera and then it just, you know, the trade route yeah. ended up making them rich. But do, well, do you the, think they th- would have done that if the elves never came and put them in that position in the well, first place? I mean, so. Because the needs were there anyway. And every time you, you see needs, they get enslaved, subjugated, slaughtered. Like they never really... Yeah, but that's only that's because of elven intervention. Like if they had no... like cast No, but systems, they were there before uh, elven intervention. And what... And what Kind of, but that, but that's, but you're going back in of history course, to where course. it's kind well, of like smaller tribes. And let's stuff. use the like Imperials just... as an example. If if the aliens never came along, you wouldn't have things like the White Gold Tower. You wouldn't have that kind of architecture yeah. and the elven elements of religion. But if they were completely untouched, those needs were just left to to their own devices. They probably would have prospered beyond. Yeah, oh, how we imagine down. needs in the early first era. Oh, don't get me wrong. I think they would have prospered and, and become a successful society on their own. My take was more like, I don't know if they would have all of the cultural trappings that Bretons currently oh, have. No, no fair enough. All because of, them, of but... the elves and the the strict caste system that was put on them in the first place, which they seem to have but... kept and made more diverse um, mm. in terms of the different rankings from the peasants. But even the, car- the caste system now, I think, is, is still like, we want to still make the distinction between like Bretons and Ultima. Like the Ultima one is like really religiously based and even the bretons are said to not be you know that into religion or they're not i think of the quotes like something like not in excess or something but their caste systems um it ends up it's a far more like as it is today is a far more political thing oh, yeah, rather than a, like a blood-based thing it seems like like a lot of elven influence like would have even in the culture and so on when the elysian order um incorporates high rock and then as things go on they're, since they worship the divines now for the most part and, and culturally they've become much more like imperial but also different because basically it's like one of those even if you look at the terrain it's like easy to have all these different kind of like kingdoms around the place and there's lots of trade networks and all kinds of stuff and it's a very hard place to just take over like Tiber Septum struggled or all the empires really did struggle to take over the area succinctly and, and cleanly imagine the the Dureni kind of aristocracy the higher classes that if if you had a low-born breton you know there are examples which we'll talk about in a second where maybe there were low-ranking needs or bretons who did prosper in Dureni society but for the most part you imagine it's the elves looking down whereas 
one interpretation I have of the current system, like the caste system of just kind of having your lords, your peasants, your, you know, your knights and, and people in the court and whatnot, is that, you know, kind of stemming from the find a hill, become a king meme they have, is that you can be nothing and become something. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a bit of a kind of like a, you know, an individualism attitude, which you'd never yeah. have under the Dereni. Not it in seems a million like, years. It seems like actually High Rock out of like, compared to a lot of places, there's like, I guess you could say like the most like class mobility, like the idea there is always these, and they play up that in their stories and so on. Like you can become a hero and you know, find a thing, Although, become a king, all that kind of stuff. But then also like you have some characters that have just come out of, like lower standings or so on and have become you know prominent figures and so on and because there's this really like um uh, what do you call it uh like fractious sort of society there's so many opportunities and so on to ascend and assert yourself mm. and stuff like that i know one of the the texts actually says that a lot of the time a lot of noble deeds that they do are done um in vain in terms of or mm. at least them trying to be a noble is um sought after in vain and it's hard to say without having like a proper, you know, single player game set there, um, exclusively there, like not including Daggerfall, um, to show it all off. But I just wonder how much mobility there really is. Like for for example, oh. like uh, is it how they say it is, or is it more like the current state of the world now in in the terms of the you know the American dream or the Australian dream, where it's really like yeah, you you can become a, a billionaire because I guess in our time, the merchant class has essentially ascended to the top of the pyramid. Um, but it's like, probs won't, even if you try hard. I just wonder. I just it's, wonder. Yeah, I, I it's agree. It's the possibility, for yeah, sure. That's, we it's should... the possibility that is in, enticing. And, and I think that's one thing that I like about the Bredens is that um, kind of in relation to this philosophy, you could almost say they're quite an optimistic people. Like they're, they're always hmm. quite optimistic in terms of like how things will turn out for them and that they will achieve greatness and... It, it, some people would call them altruistic even, although we have to realize that that, altru that that form of altruism is based on their desire to ascend the rank. So they might, oh, I'll go rescue your kidnapped daughter from some bandit in a cave, um, but I'm doing it to get a reputation, not because I like truly, truly care. It's probably a bit of both, but... You know. Like we were talking about in the, la in the last episode, that you've got to kind of look at all of their societies and so on with... It's an older lens. It's like not this modern lens or idea of it. All of it's old. So as much as it's like every single place you go to, there's hierarchies of like kings and noble birth and all of that kind of stuff of some form. So even though we're like, we are like, oh, there's probably more class mobility, not our concept of it, idea of it. It's just kind of like more in high rock compared to other areas or like, you know, having to be born to a dragonborn emperor or something like that. It's kind of like, it's like, you know, like you were saying, I'm in, in, in agree. It's like, take it with a grain of salt. Like, yeah, more class nobility, but like, don't get some sort of idea of like, our it's, sort of, it's which also is overplayed anyway. It's more a philosophy yeah. too. Like the, the citizens, even the peasants are hyper aware of it. But I mean, you could almost argue looking at some other provinces, even like Skyrim, um, you can ascend to be some great person if you prove yourself. Like if you're in Skyrim mm. and, and you're a beggar, right? Let's just assume, or you're, you're born an orphan, but then you become one of the best warriors that ever lived somehow. You'll probably get a lot of respect for that. And like you could earn your way into being a Thane or, or a house carl or... Mm. Or even just simply into Sovereign Guard. You know you what know, I mean? Like dying a warrior's mm. death or something. Yeah. I'm not saying mm. it's exactly the same, but there is that kind of mobility in a lot of, um, 
a lot of places if you can prove yourself. And I suppose I mean, Bretons are just very aware of it and promote it all the time. I mean, they could play into that idea of the altruism. Like maybe if we revisit High Rock, really build up those kind of fairy tale elements that you've got all of these knightly orders and it's all very romantic and storybook and and you can really see why role-playing a Breton character even in a very naive way they would be desperate to to go out and achieve things to go out and slay dragons and all of, you know that kind of thing it, it it would actually add a bit of a bit more character to to a lot of their society other than just your very basic kind of unfleshed out feudal systems you have yeah it is actually quite the diverse um place over when you think of outside of just like politically diverse with all of the different um kingdoms and so on like i said there's people that des- desire that sort of knightly role like i feel like they're quite in a way you could probably say that they're quite like if you're talking about individualism but quite identity obsessed and like you know in your role or king or whatever like you know i'm king or i'm, I'm count or, or whatever these different places there's the nobility side of things but then there's also the different sort of like uh kind of noble houses and then there's knightly orders and then there's also mage institutions like magic is also something i think they should play up a little bit more but they kind of have but with young bretons being born they're actually like uh looked at for their magical potential and if if um, there is some they usually like push them off into majors guild schools or stuff it, like that to get them it going. would be really cool to see more breton majors of significance as well like having mm. a game set there and they add new lore and because this is the thing when you get a new game they add history from way back in the timeline all over the place um as you know they try and make it fit in sometimes <laughs> not the best but it would be cool to have you know, like, just think about it. Like, Skyrim is a place that kind of, like, distrusts magic and are known for their powerful warriors. And yet, they have some really cool arcane characters. You know, different dragon mm. priests. They've got Shalador. Um, even the Imperials, um, you know, they have, like, the Tharn line and yeah. things like that. Like, it would be... Bretons have some mages, but it, it would be cool to see the fact that they're meant to be more magically proficient reflected in their history a little bit more and also just their general society like if we go there and magic was being used to i don't know make running a farm or a shop a little bit easier you know just a just a little bit more arcane like i I do want to there are tiny hints at it i mean just Mm -hmm. a very quick quote i'll pass it to you scott but like there's something that's in daggerfall morrowind oblivion and skyrim that kind of gives you an idea that the timeline of the Dureni movement was actually a bit earlier than it seems. But as early as the 20th year of the First Era, you have the tale of a renowned Breton sage and author, Vernet, travelling to the Isle of Arteum to meet with the Sigics. And it's like, Mm. oh, okay, so maybe there is a Breton who was really magically proficient. The Dureni noticed that, and instead of just kind of viewing them as this bastard child, like no, no, represent us at the Isle of... You know, something like that, kind of like embracing the um, yeah. the well, benefits of the race. I was sort of saying before, we didn't know the exact... Like, if it's literally just all of High Rock completely um, falls within the, um, you know, the jurisdiction of the Dureni. Like, mm. it could have ebbed and flowed in this Bretons that could exist outside of that. And do you know what I mean? But they couldn't really become... Um, um, you know, go everywhere when once the until the Dureni unified control is gone. I just do want to bring up. I'll, I'll show. I'll show a picture. But there's this really cool concept art um, of a Breton mage, and he's a really wacky looking character, and he's got like a Daedra prod and so on. But he's even got like one leg that's sort of like a goat leg kind of thing, and it's kind of it's. I think it's a Kurt Pride thing. Um, 
but I, I really do like the idea of just in general, like magical things taken a little bit more uh, mystical or like, you know, in touch with demons kind of things rather than just the sort of hyper academic mm. stuff we see all the time. Like, not just yeah, your D&D firebolts and stuff. I, I, yeah, I kind of wonder if Harry Potter has actually had a big influence on culture and how magic's perceived. I know it's already been like schools of wizards and stuff beforehand, but I feel like a lot of the modern... Uh, th- you don't, you know, I don't know. A lot of fantasy stuff you see, it's very like schools of magic and, and academic lists of spells, of magic. and, and yeah. this is always oh, very much yeah. had an effect on our generation. I mean, mm-hmm. I've, I say that all the time. You know, like <laughs> Hermione Granger <laughs> with the uh, with the Polyjuice potion. Where do you think yeah. furries came from? The, the, you know, the true creation of story of the Kiji. Um, <laughs> in addition to the the mage concept art, which is clearly the the cooler one, but if you look at uh, Noble of Daggerfall concept art mm. that looks really cool um have you seen it, it yeah with the yeah, like yeah. pointed kind of like helmet slash hat like yeah and is I that even a mask underneath it or is it meant to be the um face? i think that's just as I think either way it looks way i don't know it just looks more spicy than yeah, i mean concept I th- art generally tends to look more spicy than what you get but i, I really yeah, like I, making bretons more distinct I think it's just bringing in different cultural influences rather than just the most typical sort of like, you know, 14th century kind of like night. And do you know what I mean? Like, I think they think they should pull in from from a few different influences like some of the concept art does. And I'm sure they have throughout. But one, one thing we were touching on there with, with um, the Dureni and like how far long ago, like the Dureni sort of coming to uh, High Rock as like a Marethic era thing. Um, because remember the Dureni, I think the, the big turning point of the power, uh, you can find the exact date or something. It's um, when the Elysian Order um, attacks, they fend off, they join Kyorok, I think it's Kyorok the White um, of the High King of Skyrim and so on. And they, and um, Ra- I think it's Raven Dureni or something. Basically a bunch of the Dureni clan members, they they defeat at the Battle of Glenumbria Moors, which I'm pretty sure is like the 400th something year of the first era. So it's a re- what I'm saying is this is thousands and thousands of years ago that the Dureni lost their power. And then since then, the Imperial, um, they've been part of multiple empires. Um, you know, they worship the divines. It's, it's kind of, it, it's been a long time without substantial Dureni control. But the Dureni are still relevant. Um, and, you know, they were in the time of um, Elder Scrolls II Daggerfall, but they're like more so like a respected kind of clan or noble house rather than the sort of top of the hierarchy or anything. They, you know what I mean? They're just restricted to the Isle of Belfiera, really. Yeah, they've kind of almost become slightly um, enigma- enigmatic, kind of like the uh, the Sijics. You know, they're, they're doing their own thing on their little isle and it's really hard to know what's going on there. And I feel like it will probably be explored in... Elder Scrolls 6, but we'll see. Yeah, I think so. Um, we could start talking a little bit about um, some of the stuff that happens a little bit uh, later on. So, because they, you know, Hyrox sort of throughout the first era, there's there's lots of stuff becomes part of an empire, not part of the empire. Then it's and you know, there's all it's all the stuff you'd expect. There, it's the crazy period of kingdoms all fighting and so on, and that's supposedly how it is all the way up until um, the warp in the West uh, when when the Miracle of Peace happens at the end of uh, Daggerfall. But regarding the ESO stuff, so during, um, you know, there, there's that the, that interregnum, there's the big, uh, the warring faction, what do they call it? Three Banners War. 
Um, and we, we've talked our piece about like some of the lore and stuff of the main plot of ESO is kind of, eh, and a lot of the factions, are, well, Ebonheart Pact in particular, even the Aldemary Dominions like could be improved. But out of all of them, I think one of the um, more well done factions is the Daggerfall Covenant. And uh, it, it starts off quite nicely and it's basically, to, we've made video, I've, there's a video on on the channel about it. Um, which which you can watch that to go into more depth. But um, as you know, at that time, there is a character called Dirk Rock, the Black Drake, who basically unites a bunch of the Reachmen, which are Bretons in themselves too, um, or mostly Breton blood or whatnot. And um, they go down into Cyrodiil and they take over the, you know, the Ruby throne. They establish the dynasty of Longhouse Emperors. Um, but then also Dirk Rock, the Black Drake, goes and he's trying to push into High Rock. But then this is where the Daggerfall Covenant is first formed by Emmerich, um, who, Emmerich of Cumberland, who gets together a bunch of, basically creates a defense pact with a bunch of the um, Daggerfall kingdoms to fight against Durkarak. He actually becomes a bit of a hero and he actually kills Durkarak, um, the Black Drake himself. And then, you know, the Longhouse Emperor, he goes down to Morakar, his son. But anyway, in High Rock itself, that's the start of the Daggerfall Covenant. With, a, with pretty much most of the kingdoms of High Rock involved in it. And then there's the Nahartan flu, which comes and basically ends up killing um, a whole bunch of, uh, I think it's called House Gardener, of, uh, which is the, the king and his noble house in Wayrest. And then actual, it ends up passing to the king, kingship passes to King Emmerich. And so King Emmerich ends up being king of Wayrest. Um, and then with this sort of... Um, this this covenant it everything's all going sweet but it, it plans to expand it further and he actually makes an alliance with i think it's king Faharajad or something i hope i'm pronouncing that quick correctly of sentinel right so of no um but you know in control of basically northern hammerfell and he agrees to marry his daughter but to do that he reneges on on a promise to marry um king rancer of Shornhelm's daughter and then he gets really annoyed and then starts a war, basically, a King Rancer's war. And in that time, if you go back a little bit further, we can talk about Orsinium a little bit more as well, but um, King Kurog, of um, Orsinium lost its kind of like, it got, um, it got absolutely uh, wrecked and sacked and it lost its sort of uh, status as a like sovereign territory and so on. But basically, King Emmerich made a really good deal with uh, King Kurog of the Orcs to basically... He said to the said to the orc armies, "You can go to Shornhelm and attack um, King Rance's land while we fight the army." And then, you know, the Red Guard and Breton Alliance defeated King Rancer. He goes back to his land and finds that you know his land's been ravaged by the orcs. And this is where you get the formation of what they call the Greater Daggerfall Covenant, which is basically just Northern Hammerfell, the kingdoms of High Rock and Orsinium. But also that whole in when you play the Orsinium DLC, King Kurog. Um, bites the dust, and then also his part in the Daggerfall Covenant sort of falls apart as well. So it's a very short-lived, uh, full alliance going on. I mean, the Hammerfell High Rock stuff continues, but like, anyway, I just think King Emmerich is one of the coolest. Um, I think his story, when you read it more in depth, is a really cool um, king, and I think he's kind of like an embodiment of a lot of Breton values in in, in you know his um, kingship and 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 um, political alliances and so on, but all his, like, his diplomatic relations and his sort mm. of um, economics. He, it's, it's really He cool. was also kind of born into it in a sense, though, wasn't he? I feel like he, he was... Would, he was a lower house. He was taught... 
like to use a sword and and you know things like that yeah. from a young age and kind of he, groomed he defi- to be uh yeah powerful he was definitely a noble but he was it was like a lower less relevant house in an inspiring rest. story for any breton if you're born a lower noble <laughs> you, you can yeah. become a higher one yeah but i mean largely also if we unless you wanted to take it somewhere else i was going to say we can um kind of talk about like the Iliac Bay is like a massively important part to the high, high rock. And I think that's another thing that contributes to, to high rocks, like kingdom diversity and so on is it's got like Skyrim next door. It's got Hammerfell across the bay. Mm-hmm. You know, it's got problems with Orsinium and the orcs and the Reachmen. And you've got, because of the, the terrain of the area, you've got so many little hidey holes for different subcultures. And- well, that, that's an interesting thing <clears throat> because when you read the pocket guide to the empire, and I suppose I, I get the point of what they're saying, Um, But like, here's a quote, the people too, despite their cherished particularism are remarkably similar in name, accent and dress throughout the province. It may be that this uh, unacknowledged um, homogeneity Mm -hmm. bodes well for the future harmony of High Rock. Um, And there's a few kind of like things out there about how their culture is kind of like the same everywhere you go. Um, There's a quote, like if you visit one of the towns or settlements like you've seen them all kind of mm. um but, but i hope I, that's just wrong yeah and lazy i just think that's, i think that's um wrong and lazy because there this seems is... to be so many cultural influences like you're saying around yeah. the place that contribute um and even in elder scrolls online like that different cities can have kind of like different flavors like we've got more art going on over here and like you know it's it's definitely not just all the same I think a lot of that is just a result of Daggerfall. You know, like Dagger when Daggerfall came out, it was a you know obviously an expansive game and a, a very ambitious one. But it, it it almost sounds like that's kind of a play on like it's a bit of a fourth wall break of the kind of fact that oh yeah we reuse tons of assets. You know the NPCs aren't really fleshed out. You know I I. I'm not super well versed in Daggerfall, but you can see why you get kind of like references like that. But because it comes from a pocket guide, you're in the you're in the useful situation where you can you can easily flesh out High Rock massively, make it contradict a lot of these descriptions, and then be like, oh look, that's just the Imperial perspective. They think their society is so superior to ours, mm-hmm. so they just kind of like, you know, it's it's just like with with Somerset, except it went the opposite way. You had a description of Somerset in the pocket guide that made <laughs> it sound magnificent and beautiful and alien. Um, and the de- the devs were obviously like, look, that's a bit too much work. Let's ma- let's tone it down and make it boring. But you can go the other way with High Rock and say, look, they, they just mm. didn't care. They just saw us all as the same. But, you know, mm. it, there's so much more to it. And if we look at the actual history of the different cultures that have collided and, you know, everything that, everything that we just said, mm. there's so much potential there that it would be a shame not to flesh out just because there's been boring interpretations of them so far. Mm. It would add more as well to the whole feuding dynamic. Obviously, the political part is the most important part of it. But if there are slight differences between cultures in different places, it, it makes it easier to have um, conflicts you know, between mm. the different groups. It's interesting just how many different kinds of groups come out of High Rock. Like you've got all of the knights, but then, and I suppose you could relate this to the kind of um, arcane innate nature that the Bretons have, but like all these witch covens, like what are they mm. the leader of, of witch covens in Tamriel? I'd say so. They have t- tons yeah. of them. Listen, 
and the and the we the weirds the mm. W Y R D like just another name for the big groups of the witches like the Glen Moral weird is one of them mm-hmm. like nature worshipping witches and so on but that's what I think is cool is like the High Rock sort of environment too facilitates all of that because you have these little hidden wild spots and you can have um, all of these different witch covens and so on and even in the um, closer to the Reachman side of things in the east parts of High Rock has taught how like you have like peasants and stuff that end up going to like you know like witches and so on and using um for you know guidance or omens or stuff like that in that and you know it's that kind of uh I'm imagining sort of like the the, the three witches in Macbeth kind of thing and you'll have like nobles exactly, like yeah. going to those witches and like that kind of I love that little like darker subculture that can exist Obviously, you have the Reachmen a little further over, which is like a full embrace of it, where it's the entire culture. But I like that you have that sort of pattern from going from east to west. You can kind of imagine like, you know, a little bit, uh, you know, that's Reachmen and then a little bit more superstitious kind of mm. um, which uh, peasants and so on and in kingdoms. Well, and then obviously... Well, to give credit you know, where credit's due, Elder Scrolls Online did try and kind of add more of this, um, these distinctions in there. Which, which, you know, yeah. it's a good thing coming from after Daggerfall that... And it's also just a product of game design, right? Like you were saying, mm. um, Daggerfall has a lot of pre-generated kind of designs or and like, you know, reused assets. And also just a lot of weird stuff that... Um, and I suppose it's a personal opinion, but I'm sure the two of you would agree that some of the lore should just be like written out and forgotten about because it doesn't really make sense anymore. Um, you remember the whole story yeah. we read with the wombat and the like yeah. st- <laughs> <laughs> in one of the previous podcasts. We, there's some Wait, weird it's... stuff around, and they have. Um, if you go and and look up their pantheon, there's a bunch of like very strange um, deities or just like revered figures that you won't ever hear reference of again. Yeah, they're all dagger full times. So like Druaga, the old goddess of flowers, or like things like. A god of the sea, Vigril or something like, and theoretically there's space for all of these entities. Like we don't know that there has, there's not like a rule that it has to be a fixed eight number of Adric entities or anything like that. Oh, for sure. Um, a lot of it comes from a historical fiction novel anyway. Um, like the King, King Edward series yeah. um, that mentions a few different things, including like a, there's some line, uh, people say it's, it's Bandar, but it's essentially like praise something and the bandit for blah 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 so it's mm. kind of like there's a lot of strange strange kind of deity stuff i'm happy for them to flesh it out in if it in elder scrolls 6 but it doesn't yeah. mean we have to just copy paste the same um kind of vague entities yeah the, but for the most part for people listening it's like basically imperial it's the imperial cult plus a few extra little cults that are the main things like you know Finaster and Magnus and and Jeffa as like some of the witches worship like nature worshiping that's just basically their version of Ifri but um yeah and I also kind of do like is it is a little fresh change that that religion's not necessarily the most important part of High Rock because I feel like everywhere else it plays a much larger role in their society and I guess you can kind of say in a way that kind of comes down a little bit to their sort of like individualism and sort of like you can imagine naturally that there's somewhat separation of church and state because there's so many states and so much stuff that religions just like it's just not well there's also so many religions too or like not religions but like religious things going on and you know here's the temple to this deity um almost viewed like uh in a way that doesn't consider other deities like when you have the divines and you know you're a priest of uh mara let's just say 
you're still very aware and often acknowledging all the other divines. Whereas I mm. can imagine in, in High Rock, you know, if you are a priest of, I don't know, Ebonarm or some more um, obscure deity that you're not necessarily always thinking in your head about how Ebonarm relates to, to Ephen, uh, some, you know, random minor god or how that relates to to Shior or Finaster. Do you get what I mean? Like it's, yeah. it feels less I'm not saying it's not connected. I'm just saying it feels less connected than other societies where... Like, I mean, look at the Dark Elves with the three good Daedra. That's all extremely connected. I feel like I wonder if it would be a good idea, even if they do tackle it in Elder Scrolls Six, is if they actually... And I would love to see it because I love all the ancient history of Elder Scrolls stuff. And I like ancient history in real life. So it's, it's, it's something that interests me a lot because, um, I don't know, it just gets you wondering. It's really cool. And then in High Rock, if they really... I want to see them go into like the Bujolze River tribes and like mm. ancient witch kings. And if you get to that really old Nedic tribe stuff, they could easily talk about a lot of these, like this God of the sea and this God of flowers and yada, 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 yada. Use them as gods of like ancient Nedic tribes that have continued on in these like witch covens and little subcultures yeah. and so on. But basically just give a little bit more clarity to, the, to these ideas because as we know, like I've, I've talked about it a few times, but there's this like fat mother bee thing from a Nedic <laughs> story that's worshipped as a sort of God. And there are obviously like ancient interpretations or even just completely new gods you don't really know about that, you know, are um, talked about in older stories and i think they could bring some good context it it would be a good way to touch on as you said before the kind of celtic britain inspiration that Mm. is kind of underlying there you know like in in history you're always going to have the stories of the kings going to war that that dominate the the stage of what of what you learn about about a about a culture or a province or whatever but you know the idea that you have fairly remote cultures that worship their own gods that maybe have druids instead of like you know instead of lords and and other leaders you have druids who guide them um and yeah there's a lot of potential to touch on the well, the celtic just, aspect because in way sorry go oh no you you i think yours is smaller so, so you go. i was just i was just gonna say just to, like to touch on too i feel like they have tried to push a lot of that druidic element into the to the witches and like the glenmoral mm-hmm. weird being like you know this nature worshipping sort of thing but i reckon they like i agree they should play that up and i think it is a good to place it as an older part of things. Like I, I kind of like the way I envision it is that you've got the Bretons and then for the most part, the Dureni came in and the Ord later, the empire came in and those have been the dominant cultural influences. But I like the idea that these like sort of little pockets of different sort of, you know, little faiths or witch covens or just little cults or groups that worship these specific things or something that are based on traditions and gods that have existed since pre Dureni times. Mm. And I think that would just be really cool because in the same kind of vibe, you know, when you go and you, you find the ancient darkness with the three uh, witches in um, in The Witcher 3. And, you know, mm. and like that kind of vibe. And I think that would fit, that kind mm. of energy fits the Bretons really well. It, it's exciting when you go outside of this, like, it, you, the kingdom of Camelon and you go somewhere and you Could also fit straight into the, like, a marketing angle for, like, creatives at Bethesda to be like, oh, Witcher 3 is successful. Let's make it more like Witcher. <laughs> yeah. No, because there, there are cool yeah. vibes you could take there. And I suppose that's not a bad angle. Like, instead of removing things that are, like, very irrelevant, it's like you can keep some, but, like, flesh them out. Um, and well, make them fit into the world. And we also know from from a lot of the Bosma lore that there is 
associated with Ifray, there's there is this kind of green magic where you know if you're one with nature you can almost like shape it and be a part of it and and you can imagine if you have smaller groups in high rock who worship jeffa who is just the you know the ultimate version of ifra or the the interpretation that maybe they can have a much more explicit form of green magic where they're not so afraid to meddle with nature yeah that's that's a god we missed we missed didn't we Jaffa. Jaffa. No, I did bring it up briefly. Yeah. It says just, it um, said that like hunters um, and farmers can gosh. even revere Jaffa. Talking about that um, uh, green magic, you know, so the Bosmer calling that, this is how I interpret it, but as part of the Reachman thing, being the Reachmen are infamous for their advanced hedge magic, like the idea that it's related to nature kind of stuff. And so like there's this wild hedge wizardry and like often described as primitive. I feel like it would be a great connection if they did make it a bit more explicit that it's similar to like the Bosmers, like green magic idea mm-hmm. that all of these, and you know, you can bring that because you know, you've got to have the Reachman if you've got a game set in High Rock. You know, I love the Reach. I feel like uh, <laughs> but, yeah, we're cooking up the ideal High Rock Elder Scrolls 6 video yeah. right now. I can think of a lot of cool things to write in. I was going to say before. Sorry, no, no, go you're right. It, you know, the whole like find a hill and become a king type attitude. It's interesting mm. that there is this kind of like, um, at least on wikis, this revered persons category of kind of like people um, in high rock culture who ended up being revered. Like mm. um, some bard shrouded in mystery or like a... A mortal Breton wizard of legend and a revered holy knight errant. Um, I f- these feel like pop- a lot of this is like really obscure and not relevant, but I'm just saying you could borrow this kind of concept and chuck it in as more like, oh, it's not even just become a king, it's like try hard enough and become a god kind of or like become a per- person who will be worshipped after after death. At least in folklore. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I feel like folklore is important in High Rock. Yeah, and I I would take it the same way as the kind of how you've got like, you know, Sir Gawain and King Arthur and Lancelot. There's these kind of, they've become almost part of like the myth and stuff. And it's not a religion. You don't worship them, but they're culturally important. But but it it would be cool. Because something to look up to for Mm. aspiring. It it would be cool though if it felt more real. Like, you know, the whole myth makes reality concept, which we see kind of represented in the Elder Scrolls world in, you know, a few ways. If there were like, imagine you found some small shrine to their kind of King Arthur equivalent, but when you interacted yeah. with it, you got a blessing. It wasn't just, you yeah. actually like got like some little 5% boost to one-handed damage for the next hour or something like that. Like even this sage one, the the Garon Varden Groet or whatever, mm-hmm. the, the sage immortal Breton wizard of legend, um, you know, dark eyes, an indigo robe trimmed with gold, a pointed wizard's hat, and intricately carved. Like, I'm just thinking, like, it's a Merlin kind of reference. <laughs> Prophesized right? just by like... the gods as a champion that would be sent down to guide others and bring wisdom. You know, it's cool. Julianos would be more, I think, relevant in High Rock with, like, because mm. High Rock has kind of like a, you know, a decent focus on education and kind of like magical studies and, and things of that nature and commerce as well. The, the Bretons love Actu- making money. Actually, they tie in what we were, you're talking about with the idea of like revering persons mm-hmm. and so on. But like they also have um, saints. And if you think about saints anyway, these are like it's a concept of like enlightened sort of people that have, you know, followed God's paths or whatever and, and are, you know, notable. Like they're kind of like, well, not venerated, not worshipped or what, what, whatever you want to use, whatever word. But you're paying some sort of like metaphysical respects mm-hmm. to this entity, but these are saints that have lived and so on. So even having that concept or running with the sort of concept of like, you know, 
that you there's like class mobility or you can like become a hero and be, do feats great enough and you can become a great king or a knight or something like that but also even from a religious perspective it's like if you're as a really good priest or something you could become a saint among the the people and so on and so whatever profession or whatever there's all of these different ways to sort of you know grow and become someone of note of legend mm. yeah yeah but um yeah, so is it is it is it Reachman time? <laughs> 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 yeah, it's Reachman o'clock. Yeah, we, we can yeah. have other. We can have. Remember, everyone listening, there will be other podcasts on different things that you know we'll go into more detail on. But let's yeah, let's talk d- a bit about the Reachman now. Could, it's inevitably we're going to have so many more podcasts yeah. on. Like we're not doing one rate one video on the Bretons or the Dunma ever. Yeah. Like you know what I mean. Like there's going to be so many more, but. Um, yeah, so so the Reachmen are an interesting group because they're they're what you see as the Reach in Skyrim is only half of the Reach. The rest is like they call it the Western Eastern Reach, um, and the, the other part, of the Western Reach, is all in um, in High Rock. And these are, and it's here where you've got this sort of like isolated kind of group that I imagine there's a lot more Nedic influence as well. But then you've also got there's some Nordic influence. Um, because, you know, Nords rule those period for a time, the Dereni ruled the Reach for a period of time, but then you can imagine, like, if there's those, those Jules A. River tribes or or even Orcs and so on being exposed to the Orcs and there's been different, um, you know, meetings between them. And I think that's why, like, for example, Malakath um, is a figure of note for the, for the Reachmen and so on. Um, and even in a way, like, you've got um, the Reachmen have been associated with... Um, or not they've been in contact with the Glen Moral Weird and so on, which are worshipping nature and so on and her scene and hmm. And there's this big mix of the Reach I think the Reachmen are kinda of done a little bit dirty in terms of they really play up this like, oh here's this demonic enemy, he's just a you know, look, they're the ones in the evil bone looking clothes and stuff. They're the bad ones, like kill them. But like if you look at the the um the Reachman culture, I think like you could do a you could do a better job than just reducing to some sort of pr- primitive sort of skin and bone, like, you know, Conan style, like enemy that you just slaughter. Mm. And, and simply kind of boiling them down to, oh, they're a kind of Breton, obviously doesn't really stack up. Because mm. it's like, you know, if you imagine that they're occupying the northeastern part of High Rock and you've got the Dereni spreading, as you said earlier, the, the idea that they would successfully spread all across High Rock and have a strong influence over all parts of the region is is ne- that's never happening and that never happened so the idea that you know the further away from Dereni influence you go the more kind of like you slip into this well this is a completely different culture this is a culture that that did originate from those early needs and was kind of left unchecked to do it their own way because it's interesting too like that's only the only place i can think of where like obviously um we've talked about before but reachmen are like majority daedric worship is like most of their entities um that they worship and it does vary from like like even the high rocks the feudal high rocks even the clans amongst the reachmen are at each other's throats and have different sort of you know some worship a river or something like they have like their own sort of little mini faiths and, and so on around this place but that david worship it's kind of like you think like where did that originate from because it didn't originate from the nords it didn't originate from the dereni so my like assumption is that it's like actually giving some sort of if you look way into the past that there is some sort of ancient nedic 
kind of element there that perhaps they were worshipping the Daedra back then. Because also, from a pro-man perspective, um, they also revere uh, Lorcan as Lork, who is the creator of their entire world. So that, that you know, can line up with the sort of... Um, you know, basic sort of Padmaic mm. faiths of man. So that plus Daedra and then like, you know, her scene as well being associated with like the ancient and primal so, sort of stuff. To be fair, the Durrani were like master sorcerers. And in, interestingly, um, while the Somerset Isles was obviously very Adric and anti-Daedric, the Durrani became um, pretty good, you know, summoners. They're master summoners. And mm. um, it's uh, somewhere it says... A con they basically discovered that they could um, change the shape of a flame atronarch, um, which they used in the Battle of Glenumbria Moors. I think it's their cope for having flame atronarch horses as as mm. mounts. Um, but they they are oh yeah, there's one. Uh, one of the Dureni was also the first to conjure the first ever flame atronarch in the form mm. of a camel. But if we <laughs> if we ignore the mounts part of it. Um, there is an element of kind of sorcery and conjuration there, it seems, to the Dureni, which is interesting. But there's conjuration. A there's a quote that says the... something like they were the first to plunge through the doors of oblivion. Yeah, so something like, like that more... somewhere. But conjuration too, I don't think it's a, it's not a point of reverence. It's to conjure and control. So like, I'm just saying it it's different the to the like um, kind of some some groups would would find anything to do with the Daedra to be like uh, disgusting. What? And in reference mm. to the needs, like we we have, there's there's so much documentation on what went on early on Somerset. You know, you kind of have the um, the the cross pollination of these gods having effects on the early population, but we don't really know what was going on on the mainland at the time. If you if you had needs coming down and they were there around the same time that uh, you know, like say Boethia was betraying Trinamac. Um, if if Lork is the kind of god of of most of the Reachmen, then you can see these Daedric princes coming and 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 influencing these these early needs as well to ensure they are Padamaic, you know, followers of Padamaic religions and stuff like that. So there's probably, you know, that there's potential that the Daedra are appearing to the needs, and we just never had anyone to kind of document it and keep it in the crystal tower or something so that we'd have references because the way i like to i like to think about the reach just because the reachmen are a lot of their main deities are like considered some of the most sort of ancient or like in the way that you got like her scene associated with the primal and the hunt and everything a very sort of like you know uh you know hunter and prey kind of thing you've also got Lork like creating the world and being the very thing that initiates the whole thing but then you've got Namira as the spirit queen and also referred to as an Erdra and in many faiths is referenced as one of the oldest and most ancient spirits like I, I feel like a lot of that all fits very nicely with this idea that the ancient needs of this high rock area were more like you know the sort of witch covens or reachmen of today and stuff mm. that that have only been like you know in quotes like civilized by um, you know, Imperials or Dureni or... or, or I think know, them working kind of with Hagravens and having the kind of relation with the Briarhearts and stuff is, is really cool. I, yeah, uh, you know, yeah. That, that all well, plays into that perfectly. Well, that, that's what is so nice that they... And I'm, I'm surely they did this intentionally, but... Um, you know, there's the whole idea that so so Lork came to Namira and it's like I want a space to to create for uh, wayward spirits and so on. So creates, but he has to sacrifice himself to do it. So he creates Mundus, um, and you know it costs him his heart. You know, um, and in the same way, if you think of Namira as embodied by the Hagraven when they when they undergo the the 
uh, briar heart ritual, like tearing your um, your actual heart and replacing it with a briar heart. It's like he's sort of like a Lorcanic reenactment yeah. of this whole whole thing. It's a really cool. There's so much cool stuff. I really hope they do. You know, it's probably High Rock and Hammerfell, right? Oh, I hope so. After waiting so long and and hearing those quotes from Todd about like, and uh, we don't know exactly what he was referencing, but saying like, oh, you know, as you get older, you got to think about what games you're gonna essentially make before you die, right? So it's like, oh, please make it super ambitious. As if it's not the most poetic, like Daggerfall is probably the thing that really took off Elder Scrolls initially and then Morrowind really saved and took it off. But regardless, like it would be such a poetic sort of thing to go back, revisit similar areas to Daggerfall, but actually all of High Rock and Hammerfell, mm-hmm. but done with all of his new technology and all that kind of stuff. Because you have so many cultures, you you know, you've got the crowns and um, the, the crowns and the forebears of Red Guards and all of their miniature cultures inside. You've got all the things, kingdoms of High Rock, you've got Orsinium, you've got the Reachman and you've got all of the subcultures that we've been talking about in High Rock itself like it's just so it's, it's so much potential and the um, lore has evolved so much mm. since the time of Daggerfall as well oh and perfect plot point for the whole like if they want to go run with the whole Towers theory and everything and the Thalmor resolution it's just the perfect spot for it but um, yeah yeah um, we'll probably do an actual Reachman episode at one point. A hundred percent. Because it's really fun to go through each of their deities and, and how they mm. kind of are different, like same in name, but different in lessons, perhaps, that they give to the Reachmen or what they mean to them. Or emphasis is placed on different things, like with Dagon having seemingly having more relation to ambition than, you know, destruction of the yeah. entire world type stuff. So... Reach them in a cool, but let's we'll give them there in podcast for sure. Yeah. Um, does anyone want to take this in any particular direction? Because it's like there, there's a lot of there is a lot of history in general, but that's kind of like history is not as fun to talk about when you're just there's nothing much to say on it other than this is what happened and this is like and you know we might do that in other podcasts. But, we do have history uh, videos that would be really concise and, and people could watch. Different yeah, high rock things. Yeah, but um, yeah, I don't know. I suppose one it, small it, thing which won't go off on a tangent because it's just small, but um, you know the whole story because there's some things from Daggerfall which I'm not a fan of, but then some things I kind of like little tales here and there that I, I would like to stay. But like uh, the RK story of being a shopkeeper um, with this mm. passion for knowledge and like uh, being a big book collector and eventually um, making a deal to become a god of birth and death. Um, that, it's a cool story. It that also fits nicely with the whole idea of like the sort of becoming Become, so great. You can be a you god, can... yeah, 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 yeah. But uh, yeah, has anyone else got anything to say to Breton? I mean, yeah, there are so many conflicts you could go over. I mean, did you want to? Uh very succinctly and briefly wrap up the warp in the west <laughs> right well okay there's so, a challenge here we go so so um it's interesting that it says also there is references that it says at, at um, some point in the history the bretons were ruled by the witch kings and during tiber septum's conquest of that area there's um he you know he opted it says he uh, opted to entrust a governor to choose of his choosing to end the um feuds between high rocks witch kings which was successful and so on. But anyway, so Tiber Septum conquers, um, conquers all of uh, High Rock, right? But it's still lots and lots of kingdoms that, and there's lots and lots of infighting. So it doesn't actually have that real proper um, control. 
Um, and, you know, that's the state of which things continue for many, many, many years, all the way up until um, the events of Daggerfall towards the end of the Third Era. Um, basically, you reactivate the Numidium using the Totem of Tiber Septum, and then functionally, like, Talos is kind of created as a being then because you have the rejoining of Ismir Wolfarth Zurin and, and Tiber Septum that becomes Talos. Anyway, then you get this big metaphys metaphysical thing and basically essentially a dragon break where you have all of the different multiple endings of Daggerfall happen at the same time, but then so somehow be neatly, you know, coincided at the end in a nice little, like, you know, stitching the timeline up. So basically this is how, like, Manamarco both lived on as a human form and also became the Necromancer's Moon, that like the god. Um, but anyway, you get a miracle piece where you sort of have the, I forgot what it is, like the Five Kingdoms or something, but I think it's actually just the Iliac Bay area or so on. But anyway, basically resolve, magically resolves all of the problems and lots and lots of power is consolidated. So instead of having lots and lots of kingdoms or whatever number they were in, like, the teens or, you know, tens and tens of kingdoms instead you just have it consolidated within i think it's five um yeah i feel like yeah. it was down from something in the 30s i can't can't quite remember there's but. lots it was yeah but basically the miracle piece through metaphysical means and using the medium dragon break happens and the result of it is you get high rock becomes consolidated um to you know in power nice yeah well i think as well in terms of podcast structure we can definitely have uh, podcasts titled after the province instead of the race so you know you can you can yeah. have high rock instead of breton specifically it allows us to discuss the geography and, and history creatures and, and stuff more too. history and, and like yeah yeah well thank you everyone for tuning in to the latest mm. elder scrolls podcast it's been a it's been a nice experience social media links are down in the description as is a link to our merch if you want to get an awesome tea and help support the channel and we look forward to nerding out with you again very soon.